Great. Uh, before I go any further, I want to invite Al and I'm looking for Caroline. It's just me. It's just, well, we'll make do. But here we go. Um, before we get going this morning, this morning is a morning of future focus, looking ahead, and uh, there may be significant change that comes out of a future focus for us as a community, uh, touching on the lives of uh, a whole number of individual people. And uh, although it's a bit of a work in progress, there may be something of that that um, is coming in store for Al and Caroline and their family. So I just wanted to give Al opportunity to say so. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Caroline sends her apologies. She's out with the Sparklers group, um, as she does once a month, so can't be here right now. Um, just wanted to, to give you a bit of a uh, sort of update on something which uh, I think most of you won't yet be aware of. Um, but a, a number of months ago, uh, a couple of things came together at the same time. One was um, a church in Wheatley reaching out for further relationship to OCC. Um, they asked some of us to come and preach and explored whether there's, not for the first time, explored whether there's perhaps a deeper connection there. Um, and alongside that came my annual appraisal, at which um, two people who I look up to greatly, um, Steve Jones and Steve Thomas as well, uh, said that they felt there was something more that God wanted Caroline and I to grow into um, that might necessitate a change of context, um, which was not easy listening. Um, but also exciting. Um, you'll, you'll catch some of that in a bit. Uh, what that kicked off was a process of seeking God for what he was doing. Just wave a hand if I have at some point in the last 10 years spoken to you about if God speaks, you go, and you do. Yeah, I'm looking over here, definitely. But there's a few else, other ones as well. And so we took seriously the, what, you know, what God might be saying, um, spent some time praying, spent some time looking to prophetic voices who we trusted, and out of that came clearly a sense that we should be looking to um, connect more closely with the weekly church. They're actually advertising for a pastor at the moment. Um, so I've applied for that role. And at the moment, I'm on a short list of three, which means it's far from a done deal. But I wanted to talk to you now for a few reasons. And the first is that we're family. And that's the kind of news that you share. Um, and also, I'm aware that through various things and people need to know about this for budgeting and planning leadership and all kinds of other things I wouldn't want it to come out in the wrong way and for people to feel like well why didn't you tell me um, and actually it's open to misunderstanding so I wanted to be clear this is not about sort of ambition you know Alan Caroline wants to go off and be head honcho somewhere um, nor is it some kind of relational falling out that you know we couldn't make it work or or that we're done with you guys actually it's come at great, at great cost just the idea of potentially stepping to, to an arm's length distance with this church um, has come at, at great cost. But actually, it's because this might well be the call of God. We believe it, it, may, it probably is, but it's subject to somebody else's judgment as well at this stage. Um, and also because it leaves room for God to call people up. Who knows, you know, if, if we do move on, um, who knows who God may be raising up to fill some of those gaps that that will leave. So just to close, really, it's not certain at this stage. I've got interviews coming up. Please pray for those. Please pray for the will of God to be done. Please come and talk to us. We're, you know, we want to be open about all that's going on. Um, there's more of our heart that we'd love to communicate, um, but there isn't time for right now. Um, and please pray for us, for this church, and for Wheatley Community Church, because we want God's will to be done, whatever that ends up looking like. Um, 
I'm sure there'll be more on this another time, but I just wanted to give you that heads up now. And as I say, please do come and talk to me or one of the elders, Steve, um, if you want to have anything more about that. Great. Thank you. And for, you're new here, and you don't, I didn't introduce Al as one of our um, start pastoral staff here. That's why it's of interest to all of us. And if you don't know where Wheatley is, it's not very far away. And in, in fact, it's the next village along from where you live, yeah, uh, just to the east of Oxford. So um, please do be praying for that process, as Al has said. Uh, it's quite exciting and also a little bit um, disorientating. And as I talk this morning very practically about our future as a church, I think you'll see why uh, it, you know, Al and Caroline are leading the way amongst us just in this moment and saying, so Lord, what, does, what future do you have for us? And that, you know, I'm just delighted by the obedience that they're, they're seeking to uh, outwork as they didn't really want to hear um, God. So, you know, every year, I don't know how annual appraisals go in your workplace, I lead a number of annual appraisals each year, and there's usually somebody cries in one of them. Um, it, this, this time round, actually, um, for Alan Caroline, uh, just embracing the potential cost of not being with all of us lot as regularly, um, I think, was this year's point of uh, weeping. Um, last week, so, uh, I'm... There's a piece of paper around about with a picture on that looks like that. Have you got one of those? If you were here last week, you'll know all that, what, what that's about. If not, uh, it's about this future focus for us. And as we started to look at that last week, one of the things that I spoke about quite clearly was uh, how on entering the promised land, the people of God were brought again to a point of submitting to God, and in particular, all the men were circumcised again. I spoke last week about some kind of cutting and pain that was needed in order to embrace all that God had for those people. And there's, a, there's something of that still for us today, that God wants to get close to us and touch us in ways that we might not find straightforward, but that in embracing what God has for us, that's the way that the best comes. And I'm just very grateful for Alan Caroline in, in setting an example in, in all of that. Um, I've already started then moving on to the subject matter for this week. There's this picture. And uh, if you were here last week, I said you'll know what this is about. If you weren't, I just need to rehearse things very briefly. You can, by the way, see last Sunday's sermon of online as a video to make it a little bit more engaging because we knew that a number of people would want to watch it after the fact. And what you're getting this morning is part two of two parts. And if you've not yet heard what I said last week, uh, you will want to go back and it will make more sense of some things from this morning. But this picture aims to bring together a number of elements that matter to us as a church uh, about three years ago, a process began in which a season change commenced for us. Uh, things had been a little bit grey and not always very joyful. And somebody stood here in May 2016, a visiting preacher, and said, God wants to upgrade you. There's a new season. You've had the, reading from the story of the Israelites entering the Promised Land I read from Deuteronomy chapter 11 about how when they were slaves in Egypt, the way that the water got to all of the plants was very uh, mechanical and laborious. 
as walls needed to be built to hold the River Nile, and then water had to be moved around. But in contrast, the land they were going to was a land where it just rained. And the contrast was between working to get what blessings uh, God has for us and something much more about the sovereign goodness of God that literally showers blessing upon us and a change from working to resting in God's work. And since that time, there has been a change in the atmosphere of our church. Some of you have been around long enough to know it and uh, occasional visitors to our church do regularly say to me, things are changing around here. And uh, indeed, the last time I was at a gathering of pastors from across the city, uh, one of them said to me, I hear OCC's better. (laughs) You're on the up. And I spoke here in kicking off the new year of our Sundays as a church, saying, it does feel like springtime for us. We are on the up. Something has changed And of course, there's much more blessing that God wants still to release to us. So what this picture has in it is a bit of a picture of current life and springtime, future blessing, even more to be had, fruitfulness that lies ahead of us. And then different elements in this picture uh, come from the story of the Israelites, some of them at least, from the story of the Israelites' entry into the Promised Land, the circumcision, the bowing down that Joshua did when the commander of the Lord's army came, and Joshua said, so are you you with me? And the commander said, no, that's the wrong question. (laughs) I've come as the commander. Take your sandals off, this is holy ground, and Joshua bowed down. So those two things speak of what God wants to do in us, wants to soften us, wants to uh, humble us and establish us in right relationship with him. I spoke at length about that last week and also some of my own journey of being humbled over the last 18 months. There are some strongholds in this picture as well. As the Israelites entered the promised land, there were fortified cities that needed to be addressed in order for them to proceed. And I also spoke last week about what some of those obstacles might be for us and how for us as Christians, what we read from 2 Corinthians 10, especially about strongholds as a picture of uh, ways of thinking that hold out against God's truth, that some of the strongholds that we face are things like uh, putting ourselves first. And uh, I spoke about Three strongholds, me first, these are on the back of this piece of paper if you've not found them, me first, us and them, that is thinking that we're better than other people and don't need other people, and something also about anything goes in contrast to knowing what it is that God has for us. Also last week, I explained about an event that took place in January last year. In January 2018, I took, uh, well, about half of the church's leadership team, about half of us went away for a couple of days to be facilitated in thinking about the future with someone called Dave Oliver. And Dave started his time with us, having done a bit of research already on us as a church, and said, the thing about you having vision for the future is you're just not going to realize it. And uh, that was a challenge. And he unpacked a number of reasons why he could see we were not going to step into the future that had God that God has for us as a church. And uh, I've mentioned a few of those last week. There's one more that I think is still to come this week. 
but to rehearse. Last week he said, the thing is, you make statements of vision in OCC, and on the one hand, you don't really have agreements together about what, what you're going to do with that. He said, you know, you make fine-sounding statements which have the capacity to be interpreted by everybody to mean different things so that everybody thinks that they're in agreement, but actually you've not worked out quite what you're doing, quite what it means, and so you uh, aren't really in agreement together as a body. That needs to change. He said also, you're a medium-sized church that keeps on acting like you're a big church and finds pleasure in doing more than you really can, with the consequence that you don't follow through on a whole number of things and people can feel exhausted and driven towards things. And that's not the right atmosphere. That's not how God's going to bless you. And what that could be described as is overreach. You try to do too much. And so the first of those things is a challenge to agree together what our future will look like. And secondly, the question of whether we really agree with God about what he wants for us or whether we're driven to try to do more than God really has for us to do in his great plan. So there's an answer to both of those challenges, the challenge of agreeing together and the challenge of agreeing with God. And that's why the subject title for this week is Future Focus, because a key that God will give us is in the process of sort of downloading to us is in that word focus. What are the things that God is saying to focus on as a body of people? And with that, can we agree together on those things being a focus and there being some priorities that we will ensure we hold on to and uh, pray into and move forward, which would mean, of course, that some other things get less of a priority. So this morning, uh, I'm not going to be speaking very much from the scriptures as it happens, which is unusual, but rather very practically saying, what is it that God might be saying to us should be the different points of focus for us going forward? And I'm going to ask you to reflect on those, if you like, to assess those and say, is that what God's saying? And what do you think? What might it mean for you? I'm going to go through, there are four of these things. I'm going to go through these four, and for each one of them, I'm going to explain why some of us believe that is indeed a God-given focus, and also a little bit of how we think that focus might be gained. Now, to be frank with you, there is a bit of a difference here. On all of these points, I can give you a really clear reason or reasons why, and then there is some variation around whether I can tell you how. And that will all become clear as we go forward. So, without any further ado, uh, I know I want to pray, actually. That's a, an ado worth doing. Um, I spoke at, at length last week about God needing to, God inviting us away from, here's all the stuff we've got to do, 
I spoke about the challenge that I've received in the last 18 months about just wanting to crack on with things and instead learning to do things in relationship with God, learning to rest, learning to pray. And this morning we turn to some things that will undoubtedly engage action from, I trust, all of us in different ways, um, but mustn't do that without first praying. So, Lord... Lord, I thank you that nearly three years ago, you were gracious, and through uh, Martin, who was visiting as a preacher, you reminded us of an essential gospel truth, that it's not by our hard work that we're saved. It's not by our cleverness and our industry that your kingdom comes, but you are sovereign, and you are good. And you bless us, and you bless us, and you bless us because you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, would you change our hearts, I pray. Would you soften our hearts? (laughs) Would you take flint knives to our hearts in whatever way you please? Would you change us? Would you humble us? And would you... Make us gladly dependent on you, not frustrated to be dependent upon you, but enjoying relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for that wonderful picture of you as the vine and us as your branches and all of the life and the fruitfulness that comes from you. Lord, I pray that even as we talk this morning about, I talk this morning, we all respond to these points of focus, God, I pray, would you establish them in our hearts and our, our understanding in, the, in a good way, in the right way. And I pray particularly for those who are activists, who've just been waiting for something to crack on with. Lord, uh, help us all to know how to walk in step with you. And for those who are not so activist and are in danger of Uh, perhaps being a little less responsive when you call and say it's time to move forward, those for whom change is less welcome. Lord, would you catch us all up together as a body and would you, as a sign of your favour, grant us the ability to agree with you and the ability to agree with one another in all the things that you have for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's the first thing. And these are from these are little bits of the picture that we've got here. These four hills to the left of that picture. The first thing is to do with a school of the Spirit. So let me unpack what that means. Uh, last year, or hmm, maybe even the year before, a little while ago, uh, the, lead, the, the elders, actually, of the church, we sat down and we looked through all the... You know, we had... Um, Kate came and shared a dream this morning and said, I think God has got something to say to us. We looked back over all of the... Because we keep a record of those things. We looked back over the record of all the things that it seemed like God had been saying over all the years that the church has been going. We've got quite a lot of words there. And we asked ourselves, are there any of these things that seem to have been on the heart of God and spoken to us at some point that we've not responded to? And the one thing that stood out from that was the number of times in different ways we'd heard words saying, received words saying, yeah, there's more for you in prayer. 
There's more that God wants to do by his spirit. And in that kind of activist mindset that I have long had and others around me have been drawn into, maybe have a little bit of themselves, somehow that had been left without being responded to. And so there was this accumulation of challenges to learn to pray, to learn to depend on God, which we'd let go. And so we said, we need to respond to that. There's something about prayer, especially, that uh, can be upgraded. There's a greater blessing in prayer. That's a part of this school of the Spirit. Uh, Eleven, no, ten and a half years ago, another visiting preacher spoke a word that really landed with us. His name was Alistair Bullen. He was here for a national student conference. And, uh, sorry, that's the wrong word. It was Fraser Hardy from New Zealand. doesn't really matter. The point is that a word came to us and we received it. And the word was that God wants for OCC to run, and this was the phrase, a school of the supernatural, and that that would go hand in hand with the church becoming more multi-ethnic than we've ever been. That word has sat there for 10 years, again, without having been developed. But it was a word that was spoken to go alongside us becoming more multi-ethnic as a congregation, and that's the season that we're in. We are becoming more multi-ethnic. And we're not alone in that, nor alone in considering this phrase a school of the supernatural. Some of you may have heard that phrase from other quarters because there are a growing number of churches running something called, that they're giving the label, a school of the supernatural. In fact, one of our speakers at our summer camp, a GP who runs something called Heaven in Healthcare, and where they're praying for healing for people um, there uh, and offering that within the NHS, uh, Pete Carter Uh, has helped a dozen or so of these schools of the supernatural to start. And we're beginning to see that there's something of that kind that we need to get up and running as OCC. Uh, Miracles are a funny thing. They they happen. I I, I, I wanted to say something this morning about David Hume and philosophy of... Religion, and I, if you want to talk about that, talk to me later because I want to talk about it. But I, I resolved that I didn't really have time. And what I want to do instead is to tell you a story, because it's a story that did the most for me to set my mind in the my understanding in the right place around this, you know, miracles happening. And uh, it's someone that I met through Sam's family, uh, Joshua David, an Indian evangelist who was preaching evangelistically one day to a crowd of some tens of thousands of people when a group of people turned up from the RSS, which is the militant part of the nationalist party, the the Hindu nationalist party in India. And these militants turned up with someone that Joshua described to me as spastic. Now, I don't know whether he had, he had cerebral palsy or quite what the, this person's condition was, but these people from the RSS said, this is how today is going to work. There is this man, you say that Jesus saves and heals, you are going to pray for him. Uh, if he's healed, we will pay for this event for you. 
And if he's not healed, we're going to beat you up. So, uh, he prayed for him, and something remarkable occurred. A miracle took place in which the man was changed. Joshua described him to me simply as healed. I wasn't there, and I don't know exactly what took place, but those who were there said there'd been an answer to prayer. They said that a miracle had taken place. Now, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. Talking to Joshua in his own reflection on that moment, he said this, it was awful. Because afterwards, as he reflected on what had taken place, he said that in the moment of praying for this man, the reality was that he himself was only thinking about his own skin. That he was praying for this man not out of love, not out of a concern for whatever challenges he might face, but simply to avoid getting beaten up. And afterwards, having prayed and having seen a miracle take place, he was cut to the heart at what it had exposed in him of his own motivations in life. And that you really shouldn't be praying for sick people for any other reason than they're they're good. He was convicted about a lack of love. And I found that story helpful. God doesn't want us to run a school of the supernatural or a school of the spirit so that we've got another you know, notch on our belts or look a bit better or we've added another ministry or so that we can create a website with lots of stories of amazing things happening. God wants this for us because he loves people. I do believe it's something that God wants to focus us upon. Now, I said that there was one other element of, uh, from the time that some of us had with Dave Oliver last year, of, it's I think, probably the fourth reason he gave us why our vision wasn't going to come to pass, but we're working through these things one by one. It was really that the dynamic of the church's leadership team was inadequate. And let me explain a little bit. Oxford Community Church has been going for 35-ish years, 34 years, And in all of that time, the church has had a singular leadership team which directly oversees the range of ministries that we have in the church. Um, I quite quickly came up with a list of 15 such other ministry teams in the life of the church. There's all of our missional communities. If we lump all of them together and make that one, that's quite a bit. But then there's a worship team, children's work team, youth team, the Edge housing team, Tyndale School with its governors and its chaplains, our overseas ministry, the training that we do, our welcome, our stewarding, our students, pastoral care Sundays, the running of this centre, administration, and I could go with a few more. And it won't surprise you that the volunteer members of that leadership team have not had the capacity to engage with all of that range of activity that goes on for us as a church. And so what's tended to happen in practice is that there's been a few staff members who are being paid to have the time to connect with all of those things. And whilst we've presented having a a large leadership team, in reality, we've had 
uh, a few people hands-on helping with those things, and a lot of people a bit frustrated that they turn up to meetings where they get to talk about it a bit and pray about it a bit, but can't really get their hands on things. That is dysfunctional, and it's begun to change. We have broken up the church leadership team into a small number of other teams, each of which have some specific focus. We started last September by saying, Let's, we've got these four different goals, and I'm just mentioning the first one. Can we have a team for each of them and for the church to be led by people who voluntarily, in very large measure, giving their time to see these four different things actually happen in a way that makes it much, much less centered around a few staff who have their fingers in all the pies and creates a lot more room for lots of people to volunteer and join in together in seeing what God has for us come to pass. Since last September, this area of development has been considered by a team led by Lois Fulton. Uh, We've called it the Prayer and Supernatural Team, and they have begun to think about ways, practical ways in which we can develop in this area. Concerning a school of the spirit or a school of the supernatural, they have recognized that we don't know how to do that, and therefore have Uh, set the rest of this calendar year and maybe a bit beyond to go and visit different places and make friends with people from whom we can learn about this kind of thing with a view to starting such a school in 2020. Uh, Pete Carter has offered to help us with that, but there will be others who would also do so. What this prayer and supernatural team have begun to dream of is that all of us would grow in expectant prayer. So there's another piece of paper, which I think is going to get passed around now, because I really want to make sure that this morning is not all about me telling you things, but it's the beginning of a process of everybody responding to these potential points of focus. So this is not a particularly clever piece of paper, but it's meant as a prompt to say that what you think really matters For each of the four areas that we're going to look at, there are three questions, and the questions are the same for all four, and they are, do you agree that, whichever one of it is that you're looking at, do you agree that this is indeed a God-given focus for us as a church? Uh, Do you have any more ideas for how we gain that focus? So, you know, there's not a complete plan in place for any of these things, and it may well be that you have insight into what's needed for us to develop in that area. And then there's the more personal question, how do you see that particular focus affecting you? So uh, the point of this piece of paper is for you to, is to prompt you to think, if you, you might want to doodle down, start writing down some of your own thoughts and responses. And I want to encourage you to be honest, at least with yourself. <laughs> and if you think, well, that's a daft idea, or, well, it's fi- or maybe you know, it's a fine-sounding idea, but it's never going to happen. Or if we do that, it's going to lead to these other kind of problems. Or perhaps just, that's wonderful. Sign me up. I mean, wh- wherever you are, in, it, this is a prompt to say, do you agree? And as we all respond to this, we're going to be able to get eventually, not this morning, but eventually to the question of, can we agree? Can we agree? what God is saying to us 
as a focus for our future. Okay, I will keep going to the next thing. Oh, I should have said, a key help to us in this development of the supernatural is our summer camp. Sanjay's mentioned it already, but the focus of this coming summer camp is going to be on prayer for healing, prayer for God to do surprising things, prayer for provision, and so for us to see God's power that is beyond what we see every day coming and being a blessing to people. Here's the second thing. A sound in the city. When Steve Thomas saw this picture, he said, you're not buying shofars, are you? He said, they are the worst instrument in the world. No, we're not. But we do want to make a sound. Why? Why do we want to make a sound in the city? Well, the thing is that God has shown his hand in this area already. I was speaking a fortnight ago to a leader in one of the city's largest youth projects, and she told me that she said, she said, you don't really realize, do you? But what Oxford Community Church does in serving the city is remarkable. And uh, there's something here that God is already doing for us to celebrate before we look further into the future. Here's a few pictures of things. This is from last year. There's Stuart, and there's the high sheriff. This was the third house that Edge opened. Uh, we've just opened the sixth one. In recent conversation, someone said to Stuart, someone introduced Stuart um, to, to someone else working in the homeless sector in Oxford and said, this is Stuart. Um, he works, for, words to this effect, that he works for Edge. Edge is one of the big players uh, in homelessness in this city. Well, that's, well, praise God. That wasn't the case, and it now is. Um, this is some pupils from Tyndale Community School that we started. And I said a minute ago that when I meet from time to time, meet once or twice a term with pastors from churches across the city. Recently, I've heard people saying, you know, OCC's doing well. You know, OCC's on the up. But actually, for a while, for the last three or four years, people have been saying to me, that's amazing, that school you started. It's like the biggest thing that has happened that churches have begun in the city in quite a long time. That's amazing that that's happened. See, God has revealed his hand in this area already, that he is already enabling, positioning us to be a sound in the city. This, of course, is the hall in which we're sat. I don't know how clearly you can see that, but that is Christmas Day here in 2018. And the King Centre is a part of our making a, a sound in the city. Uh, I realised how significant this building can be um, really keenly. A couple of Christmases ago, um, Bev and I were invited to... Um, a Christmas social thing just around the corner and someone living in one of the streets just off the Botley Road. And I went in um, to this group of people and Bev knew just about everybody and I knew almost nobody. And the reason for that was that she has, just appearing just the right moment, uh, has run a toddler group here together with others for the last 10 years or more. And through the doors of that toddler group, people have come in over the years and made friends. Now, what was even more surprising to me was that not only did everybody know Bev, but I started to have conversations with people in which it became clear that the way that they first met each other was through this toddler group. That is, this thriving social life in the streets around here had found its origin in friendships that people had made in coming to this place. And so the affection that exists, amongst some people at least, 
for, for this place is quite, quite profound. People appreciate what they've discovered here, and that's another kind of sound in the city alongside um, all sorts of things that happen here. All of the uni um, Brooks University students who are taking exams will be here in the next fortnight, starting on Tuesday. Um, and uh, the King Centre was in the Oxford Mail this week. I don't know if any of you spotted that. Uh, for winning a Green Award. So that's a good thing. So, um, and here's a third thing. This is also here, but this is just a couple of months ago. This is a bunch of lovely, lovely people because this is a photo from the Engage Health and Social Conference that we ran recently here, where about 90 people working in that sector came together, Christians came together, that has led to, amongst other things, a new prayer meeting happening in the John Radcliffe Hospital. It's led to a conversation. The local GP surgery have been in touch with me asking what we can do as a church to work with them. People in the city are exploring a project called Parish Nursing, which will make a difference to loneliness in the city, which wouldn't have been sparked. It was sparked by that conference. So I want to say, as we're looking to the future, it's not all about, gosh, we've got to try and make something happen. In this area, there are some things happening, and it's by the grace of God. Now, that's what we've got to thank God for. Now, here comes, here comes the visionary part, looking forward. God is pleased with our loving service in this city, but this is the visionary part. God wants to upgrade that loving service to a place of serious influence. Um, this is uh, the Right Reverend, the Lord Bishop of Durham, Paul Butler, and some other bloke on his left. Um, I, um, I had lunch with Paul Butler in uh, about, about two months ago. Uh, I, I asked him if I could have lunch with him, and he kindly gave me lunch in the House of Lords and spent a long lunch talking about the church's impact in society, which is what I wanted to talk to him about. I figured that since he sat in the House of Lords, he'd know about that, and it turns out that he does. And he also introduced me to, to Justin Welby exactly in that spot, although I have to say I'm either too proud or too civilised to have taken that picture in the bishop's locker room. Uh, that's someone else's picture. But that's where I was, and we talked things through. had a really helpful lunch. I learned lots of things, but this is what I want to share with you. Um, Paul Butler said to me, he said, it's really great to see how churches like yours have stepped up to the plate in the last few years and began to serve in their communities and make a practical difference. He said, I'm looking forward to the point when you, you mature beyond that to the point where you're actually speaking up into society as well as serving practically. And I felt that wonderful mixture of sort of being chastised and humbled and given vision and expectation all in one moment. Uh, Although we've got that great range of things that God has taken us as a medium-sized church and used to be a blessing to the city, the reality is that there's still only a very few amongst us who expect their Christian voice to be taken seriously. Uh, there are a few glowing exceptions amongst us. I do want to potentially embarrass a few people. I don't think Steve Begu's here today. As Steve Begu, uh, the second from the right there, sat in the all-party parliamentary group discussing future religious education policy for the nation uh, back in February, which is something that he does. 
Um, sorry, Sheridan, but I, this is so photogenic. Uh, we love, Sheridan, the fact that you are speaking. This is on Radio 2, and your first column in The Times. Sweet. So we like that. It's good. There are a few glowing exceptions amongst us to people who feel confidence to speak with a Christian voice into society. There are, there are other people who do things perhaps in less public ways, but that certainly come to my mind. And I know neither of these people are here this morning. Um, but Eileen, um, she's had her fight with cancer and so on in the last year, but has long stood up for children who would otherwise have been excluded from education and argued for them and their good and brought about the cha- not only the changing of many lives in that, but an establishment of a, of a culture of support and expectation in the schools of the city. Think of Stuart Larkin, uh, who... <laughs> I picked that picture because one of the things that Stuart has done is he has argued for the public good against uh, property developers trying to make more money than they perhaps really need to uh, in order to establish good places to live in in the city here and in other places. He's had a, a public voice. So what I want to say is God wants to upgrade our public voice. God wants there to be a sound in the city that's not only the, the sound of service, he's given us a way forward with that, but there's a, a voice as well to speak, or, to speak truth and, and with love. Um, another comment, I may in this little section of what I'm saying give the impression that I spend most of my life having coffee with important people or something, but there's another one which I want to share, which is I... Um, I had coffee a while ago with Sir Andrew Dilnot, who's the head of Nuffield College in the, the city. And I'd never met him before, and I found him to be frighteningly intelligent. I was quite intimidated. And, uh, and as we talked about the, uh, what God wanted to do in, in the city, he, he, he said to me, oh, of course, you know, um, so, uh, this is what he actually said. He said, you know, most people, not most let me get this right. Some people, when we speak up as Christians, immediately object to us because they think that our faith is a pathology and that society would be better off without it. It's, it's a disease and it's dangerous. So, so if you stand, however well motivated you are, if you stand up and say, I'd like to speak with a Christian voice, some people will just take against it straight away. And some of you have had this experience. He said, but, and this is what surprised me, he said, but you know that school that you run? That's amazing, that school, he said. I didn't know how he knew all about it, but he said, that school that you run, he said, if in running that school you've discovered that there are issues affecting the lives of people in the city, and through that you say, actually, there's a need to talk about social integration, or there's a need to talk about housing, or there's a need to talk about, perhaps, um, moral education... And you can say from the basis of that, in serving people, we have discovered this and we've got something to say. He said, you'll find that people listen. The point of that is there's a connection between the acts of service and the capacity to be heard. And so God has done a part of that. He's given us this blessing of ways of serving, but there is something of a sound that he wants us to add. Now, I said that for these different things, that I could tell you why for all of them and not so much how. I, I, I don't know how, don't, that any of us know how 
we do this. I trust that God will lead us. I think of St. Oldates, who've um, had a vision to turn their church building into a world-leading exhibition centre, spend three or four million pounds turning it into a kind of global standard museum that would proclaim Christ in Oxford. Well, that's one way of having... We're not going to do that. I don't think people would pay to come into our building in quite the same way. Um, But God will give us ways forward. Okay, I need to speed up a little bit here. Uh, If you've not picked it up, in a a week on Saturday, there's a day conference that our group of churches in Sutton Light is running. I'm on there as one of the speakers, so I'm afraid you get a little bit more of me. But Mike Royal is coming to speak, who is a Pentecostal bishop, but for our purposes, more importantly, the CEO of the Cinnamon Network, which was given a million pounds by the Cabinet Office a few years ago specifically to help churches engage with their communities. And will be speaking to us about some of this dynamic, how this having, making a sound through service and through our voice together really works. So if you've not booked into that, you can come. All right. Building effective mission. Now, why? Why build effective mission? I have to say, this one, for me, kind of comes from the belly somewhere. This is, this is not a thought-through thing so much as a, this is, just comes out of, of who we are. Fact is, Oxford churches don't currently see many people become followers of Christ. This, that is how it has been. But um, it doesn't have to remain that way. Uh, just recently, I was hearing about the Salt and Light Church in the New Forest, which is a small church which has recently baptised 20 new believers. And they're not doing things very different to what, what we've done, but with a few differences that I could explain. Um, many of you will know that we've spent the last 10 years as a church exploring what it would mean for our small groups in the church to be engaged with God's mission. We've used the word, the phrase missional community as a way of talking about that. That is trying to find a way of talking and a way of living in which our communities are not holy huddles in which we're there only for our own good, but with an eye and indeed an arm outwards towards others. Uh, in those 10 years, we've learned quite a lot about mission, about missional community. Uh, we've also learned other things about how differently gifted Christians might need to unite to be effective. Um, we found, though, that, that what we started out with 10 years ago of missional community, which at the time we hoped would be, as, as you do, I do anyway, sort of the key. Right, here we go. Here's the thing. This is working for other people. Missional community. This is the way forward. Well, it's not proven to be the key. It has proven to be a context in which we've learned all sorts of things. And here's something I want to suggest to you, that actually there are a number of things that all together matter in building effective mission. This is is sort of a quick summary of 10 years of learning. And none of it's rocket science when you stop and look at it. But hey, uh, prayer matters. Who'd have thought? Um, evangelists are not always the quickest to pray, but prayer matters. Um, Actually, having evangelists matters. There are some Christians who are particularly gifted 
and the New Testament describes them, people who are evangelists, who are particularly good at sharing the gospel with others and helping people discover a relationship with Jesus for themselves. We've not emphasized those people, but frankly, I've not wanted to let the rest of us off the hook of playing our part. But that's been part of the drivenness that says, come on, crack on, let's do this thing, and actually stands a bit contrary to what the scriptures tell us about the fact that there are people who are evangelists, so forgive me. Um, Stepping stones. By this, I mean that when people are exploring the Christian faith, there's usually a journey that goes something like this. They meet some Christians, they become friends with those Christians, they start to see something in the lives of those Christians that is appealing, then really want to explore it and engage with some kind of process in which they can really get their heads and their hearts around what it would mean to be a Christian. There's a a journey. Um, There are some activities that we can arrange that help people on that kind of journey. So, for example, if someone is in a place where they're really wanting to explore what a relationship with God might look like, then an alpha course is really helpful, so we can organize one. Uh, It's also the case that most of us need help in order to meet new people. Most of us go through life with pretty much the same range of people in our lives, and most of us, if we're going to keep on meeting new people, amongst whom there might be new friends, amongst whom there might be people that are interested in the Christian faith that we have. We need, to, we need to keep meeting new people, but not many of us do that naturally. So when I say stepping stones, I mean arranging the kinds of things that we can do together that will provide uh, stepping stones in a journey that makes it easier rather than obscure for people who are interested in exploring Christianity. Uh, missional community continues to be important. Um, There are too many evangelists who find that the church is entirely unresponsive to what they're about. And churches that would rather just sort of leave them to get on with it over there and leave the rest of us in peace. And what we want are communities in the church that know how to respond to evangelists and provide a ready welcome place for people interested in Jesus. And lastly, we do need to be fluent in the gospel. What I want to suggest to you in terms of building effective mission is that when all of those things come together, then we do regularly see fruit. We regularly see uh, the transformation in people's lives that we so long to see when all of those things come together. So going forward, the how of this is that instead of simply encouraging uh, every one of our missional communities to do the whole of mission, what we want to do is to learn more about how we can work together as a whole church to see some of the dots joined up between the different kinds of gifts that we have in the church and the different kinds of activities that might be different stepping stones being run by different groups of people joining up in order to be effective. I cannot tell you quite how we're going to do that. Al has said that it's possible that he won't be a key linchpin in that come the autumn. Uh, And so we're waiting to see what happens in that process with Wheatley. And so quite how we go about making these kinds of changes, joining the dots up, building effective mission, uh, is, 
is, is uh, unclear at the moment. But what is clear is that there's an ongoing call from God for this to be a focus. I hope you've been making use of those bits of paper as you go to write down whether you agree and how you think we can do it. But here's the last thing, and I will spend least time talking about this. All of God's people equipped. That's the sort of people at the top there getting trained. Oxford Community Church has always had, since it began, a concern for God's work in other places. And we've had the joy of sending people to serve God in, in many locations. As we've done that, we've learned the importance of training that enables Christians to fulfill their calling. It is changed people who change the world, not just people with a, a better plan and technique. It is changed people who change the world. And God, in his great wisdom, continues to send many people to Oxford to get the training that they need. And that's a key part of our life together as a church. I want to say very clearly to you that the future does not lie with the most gifted people. The future lies with those who learn most readily, those who are, most, those who are softest in the hands of God, who is the potter. Two years ago, um, Yinka Oyikin was with us. Uh, he's now the president of the Baptist Union, by the way. The guy that started the turning in Reading has become the president of the Baptist Union. Just may, well, he is. And um, whilst he was with us, he said this to me. He said, uh, sorry, he didn't say to me, he said this to us as a church. He said this, you are called to leadership. Strengthen your heart and understand that I've called my church to stand out in this nation and I'm calling you back to this position of leadership in the nation. There are many churches, many leaders around you, desperate lost and scattered. Do you love me? Then look after them. Help them, strengthen them, support them, equip them. You are called to lead. What you give, I'll put back in your lap. When you sow into my sons and daughters, I'll pour back into yours, more than you've ever seen and more than you've ever had. So take a look around you. Look at your brothers and sisters. Look at the churches that have desperate need of me. Come back to your first love. Pour out your heart to me. Give it all, and I'll give you everything I've got to give to you. You will have more than enough for yourselves. In fact, it will never run dry. But first, you have to pour yourself out on me. We want to see people growing and developed. And it's not, a, it's not just about ourselves being grown and developed, but a bigger vision in which the development of people, the growth of people, is key to seeing many, many wonderful things happen. Now, how? As a church, we run some training already, whether it's marriage preparation, prophetic training, leadership training, various Saturday conferences like the one a week on Saturday, finances, which have been, um, Alex has testified to this morning, we run an apprentice scheme, and of course, we have personal pastors. Going forward, uh, as we've grappled with what it would mean to focus on seeing all of God's people equipped, believe that we somehow need to put these different bits together, put them into some order, make them more visible, and fill in some of the gaps. 
and especially learn to meet the needs of people whose needs we've been missing. <sighs> I've covered quite a lot of ground this morning, and um, honestly, uh, I, Bev asked me this before this morning, you know, how I, how I felt about this morning. Um, I much more enjoy sort of casting a big picture and things that God will do in our hearts. And I need other people to say to me, yes, Steve, but what, what are we actually going to do? And when, when is that actually going to happen? Who's going to do it? Do they know that they're going to do it? Is anyone supporting them in do it? By, by when will it be done? How will we know when it's done? Um, and are, are we agreed? So that's the question for this morning. This is a more practical morning. And some of you will feel like everything is able to come into focus now because I've started to talk more practicalities. Others think last week was much, much better because we talked about our hearts. And others still will be saying, what does he mean he's talking about detail? We've not even begun. <laughs> so this is a process. We started with the heart and with the spiritual principles. I've started to talk about some of the details, but there's actually many more conversations that are needed over the coming weeks and months about exactly what this might look like so that we can find practical agreement about what we'll actually give our focus to. So I hope you've found having a bit of paper a little bit helpful to write something on, but it's not to end there, but it's meant to be the beginning of talking these things out in the weeks to come. If you're in a small group, please take time in one of your evenings together, or maybe even a couple, to chew over together what these things might mean. Is this the right stuff for us as a church? What might it mean? How might we do it? And please come on Wednesday the 5th of June to an evening here, which we'll call a church family meeting, when we will take time to listen to one another and together to hear whether we're agreed. Can we agree? I pray we will. And that in that agreement, we'll move forward into the focus, into the future that God has for us. Amen.